Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim In the name of Allah, the most beneficent, the most merciful The Islamic Propagation Office at Rabwa www.islamhouse.com It's pleased to present to you this lecture In alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa na'udhu min shuroori anfusina wa min sayyati amalina من يحده الله فلا مضل له ومن يدلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله وبعد خير الحديث كتاب الله تعالى وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم والشر الأمور مستفاتها وكل محتفة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار. We begin by praising Allah. We praise Him. We seek His help, and we ask for His forgiveness. We seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and from the evil consequences of our evil actions. And by testify and bear witness that Allah alone is worthy of being worshipped. And that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is the slave of Allah and his messenger. The best speech is the book of Allah and the best way is the way of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And the worst of all the affairs in the religion are the newly introduced matters. And all those newly introduced matters are innovations. All the innovations are going astray and all the going astray is in the fire. My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, may Allah have mercy on you. Before I actually start my talk, I have been asked to mention something by one of our brothers, may Allah subhanahu have mercy on him, concerning the behavior of the brothers and sisters in parking their cars outside the mosque. Now it is an incredible thing that you have a huge parking place at the back of the mosque you could not be bothered to drive five yards further down and avoid blocking in your brothers and sisters in Islam unnecessarily so I'm sure you are very strict about following all the correct traffic laws when you're outside on the street but however when you come to the mosque you seem to have no consideration for your brothers and sisters in Islam whereas wallahi it should be nothing except the other way around not encouraging you to break traffic laws by the way but the point is you should be more concerned about the rights of your Muslim brothers and sisters and more thinking about them so really this is a very strange thing and one would be more amazed except that we are not except totally used to seeing this type of behavior for my Muslim brothers and sisters and that's very sad so let us now begin with the talk itself the talk itself rather than defining exactly the role of the women in Islam we tend to make this or we intend to make this a general advice to the Muslim women however the brothers should not feel that they are excluded from what we are saying here because I am sure that most of the advices, or many of the advices, although it is 
directed mainly towards our noble sisters in Islam. It is of course many of the things also equally applicable to the brothers. So how we want to begin inshallah is by reminding our sisters in Islam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mercy on them is the great and the noble quality which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ennobled them with. We remind them first of all with the saying of the Prophet وسلم, that has been narrated by Aisha and others in Ahmed and Abu Dawood and Tirbidi that women are the twin halves of men. That women are the twin halves of men. And in this noble religion, this religion of justice, this religion of truth, that women have been given an equal footing with the men in their humanity and in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala requires from them concerning obedience to Him. Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has enjoined upon the men, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has enjoined upon the women. Whatever Allah has ordered for the men, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered for the women. Except for some areas where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or his messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam have specifically mentioned that there is a difference concerning a particular matter. Other than that, the women are the twin halves of men. And this is a fundamental principle. And then we also want to remind our sisters that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored you with the religion of Islam. He has honored you and made you a member of a nation that is not like any other nation. He has made you a member of a group of people that is not like any other group of people on the face of the earth. He has made you a member of the nation of guidance, the nation of truth, the nation who are the best of all nations because they enjoy what is right and they forbid what is wrong. The nation of the people who through their following of Allah's revelation and his last and final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam are the nation of the people of the true success. The true success and the true felicity which is the success that lies in wait for those people who are patient and persevering in obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are the people of Al-Jannah, the people of Paradise. So my brothers and sisters, we find that this nation of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is a very special nation. And to belong to this nation is a very great honor. It is a very special thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has selected you and chosen you. And Allah chooses for Himself people who have certain special qualities, certain special and excellent characteristics. And the worst of us, the worst of us, the worst of the Muslims is better than the best of the Catholics. The worst of the Muslims is better than the best of the Kuffar. Because the worst of the Muslims will eventually leave the hellfire. 
the best of the kuffar will never leave the hellfire. So do not have any doubt that being a member of the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam it is the most noble and the most excellent thing. And then I would like to remind all of us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to us the religion of Islam for our benefit. He is our Lord. He is our Rabb. He is our Creator. And He is the one who is all aware of all things. And He knows best what He has created. And we should also understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free from all wants and all needs. He does not benefit from us worshipping Him. He subhanahu wa ta'ala does not benefit from us obeying Him. He subhanahu wa ta'ala does not benefit from us following the sharia that He has laid down as a guidance for all of mankind. No rather, the benefit is only for us. The benefit is only for you and for me. He has revealed subhanahu wa ta'ala in His infinite mercy and His compassion and His kindness to us the knowledge that we find in the Qur'an and the teachings of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for our benefit. For our benefit. So that we could be guided by the light of His knowledge. So that we could be raised up with the wisdom of His guidance. And if we keep this in mind, my brothers and sisters, then we will never have any problem with obeying and submitting ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because we will realize that this is only for our benefit. And that if we disobey Allah, and we turn away from His Sharia, and we abandon His laws, then we harm no one except ourselves. We destroy nothing except our own souls. Disobedience to Allah is injustice to ourselves. Disobedience to Allah is injustice to ourselves. So, let us therefore, with this in mind, reflect upon some of those issues that are so important and that are so relevant to the position of the women in Islam. And we cannot mention this except by first reflecting upon the society in which we live. Let us have no doubts. Let us have no delusions. Let us not allow ourselves to be fooled, my brothers and sisters, that this society in which we live is fundamentally oppressive and corrupt and evil. That is not to deny. And the Muslim is always just. The Muslim is always just. And we speak the truth even if it is against ourselves. 
that this society does without doubt have many good qualities. We do not deny those good qualities that exist in this society. But we have to say categorically, in spite of those good qualities, the society is not based and it is not built upon the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the obedience to Him or the following of His guidance. And any guidance other than the guidance of Allah is misguidance. Any laws other than the laws of Allah are oppression and tyranny. This is the fact. So we live in a society that calls to freedom. It calls to liberation. But in reality, it is not freedom and it is not liberation. In reality, it is calling you away from the true freedom that comes from being a slave to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To the slavery of your desires, of your hawa, to the slavery, to your passions, to the slavery, to money, to fashion, so on and so forth. Because the human is always a slave. The human being is always a slave. We are always a slave to someone or something. The noblest one is the one who is a slave of Allah. And the ones who are slaves to other than Allah, they are the ignoble ones. So in reality, this society is calling us away from the servitude and the slavery to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To the oppression of man-made religions. To the injustice of man-made religions. To the tyranny of worshipping other human beings and worshipping others than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this society makes alluring for you. Makes tempting for you. Makes beautiful for you. This evil. Because this is the method of a shaitan. The method of a shaitan is to make the evil look good. And to make the good appear as if it is evil. And this is what we find, my brothers and sisters, we are exposed to all the time. They tell you, oh you Muslim woman, you are a person. Your man is a tyrant over you. He is an oppressor over you. Why should you obey him? Why should you do what he says? Why should you be an obedient wife? Why should you be a slave in the household looking after the children? So they make what is most good and what is most noble and what is most excellent appear evil. Because we cannot think of something that is more noble than a woman who spends her life educating, caring, looking after, teaching good manners to her children. As the saying goes, 
If you educate a man, you educate a person. If you educate a woman, you educate a nation. Because it is only from the mother that the children will learn the manners. They will have the good morals, the good characteristics. So how is it they make something so noble, so great, appear as if it is evil? And obedience to the husband is nothing except preserving the noble structure of society, preserving the family that is so important to maintain the harmful and peaceful society. Yet they make this noble thing appear as if it is evil. So they fill your mind with false ideas. They fill your mind with corrupt ideologies. They call you to emulate the worth of the people, the models, displaying themselves, stripping themselves of their honor and their dignity, behaving in a most disrespectful manner, and they make this alluring, and they make this beautiful, and they make this seem noble to you, whereas in fact the reality is, it is nothing but ignobility. It is really filth. And this is how the society is. It makes that which is evil seem good. And it makes that which is good seem evil. So there is no doubt, my brothers and sisters, that as for us who are living in the West, we have to take a special care. We have to take special attention to protect ourselves from these tricks from these lies and from these deceptions. So we must keep going back to the guidance of the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet Wasallam. We must keep going back to the revelation. We have to keep reminding ourselves of these fundamental things. We have mentioned something already very briefly about the importance of the family. The family is the root of the society. With the family, the society is strong or the society is weak. If the family is strong, the society will be strong. If the family is weak, then the society will be weak. And there is no doubt that anybody who looks at the laws, who looks at the Sharia, who examines what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guided us with in His mercy that at the heart of many of what Allah has ordered us to do and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered us to keep away from is preserving the family is preserving the harmony, the respect, the unity of the family because at this lies the heart of a successful society. And let us remember the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that he mentioned how the, the throne of a shaitan is upon the water. And every day his soldiers come to him and they say, Oh shaitan, I did this and that and I did such and such. And shaitan says, Go away. You did nothing. Another one comes. I did this and that. I did such and such. He says, go away. You did nothing. And then one of his soldiers comes. 
He said, Oh, Shaitan, I stayed with a man and his wife and I made them argue with each other until they separated. And then Shaitan takes him to himself. He says, Yes, you did well, you did well. From all the things that Shaitan praises, from the things that he loves, from his soldiers who cause corruption upon the face of the earth, is to divide a man from his wife. Is this not except what the evil people learnt from Harut and Marut? To use magic to do what? Divide a man from his wife. This makes us understand how important the family is. Because if Shaitan knows that with the corruption of society comes the corruption of the children, the family, comes the corruption of the children, comes the corruption of the society. So, preserving the family for our Muslim sisters is the first advice that I must direct to them is that you must take great care of the family. And in this regard, we want to mention two particular issues. Number one is the husband and the second is the children. And before we embark upon our advices, which are five general advices, and each of them have advices within, in, within the advices, there is one general comment that is very important to make. Excuse me. And that is, that a shaitan has two ways to attack us. Two directions in which he wants us to fall, and he doesn't care which one he makes us, or which direction he makes, makes us go. Number one is to make us lazy. To make us lazy and negligent. And the other is to make us go to extremes. So let us take in this example, the example of the husband. As the wife's duty towards the husband, Shaitan will try to divert you in two directions. Either he will try to make you lazy concerning the rights of your husband. Lazy in obeying him. Lazy in pleasing him. Lazy in making yourself look beautiful and pleasing and attractive to him. He will make you lazy in fulfilling your rights and your obligations towards him. This is one direction in which the shaitan will try to take our noble sisters. The other direction is to make you extreme in obedience to your husband. So that even if he orders you with disobedience to Allah, and if he orders you to do something haram, you will do it. And shaitan doesn't care to which extreme he takes you. But in reality, the balance is between the two. Yes, the obedience to the husband is extremely important. To beautify yourself for him, to fulfill his rights. But there is no obedience to the creation 
in disobedience to Allah. If your husband orders you to disobey Allah or to do something that is haram, there is no obedience to him in that. And this is the first thing that we want to mention concerning the relationship between the wife and the husband. And the first advice we want to give our sisters. Take care of your rights and your obligations to your husband, but do not go to the extreme of obeying him in disobedience to Allah. And we remember once when I was, well this is quite a long time ago, I remember once that in London I had gone into a McDonald's to have a coffee and there were some women from Kuwait who were sitting there who were not wearing any hijab. So we decided that we would advise our sisters in Islam our sisters in Islam, this is not the dress, you are from the land of the Muslims, you are from the Arabs, how is it that you are like this? And one of them said, I want to wear hijab, but my husband won't let me. So, we said, but there is no obedience to the creation and disobedience to Allah. She said, well, if, he, if, he, if I wear hijab, he will divorce me. I said, subhanAllah, why do you want to stay married to a man like that? So this is the extreme. Her obedience to her husband took her to extreme that she disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Should not be like that. There is the other extreme where some women are so lazy to fulfill the rights of their husband. They do what they like, they say what they like, they behave in any way that they like, and they do not bother and take attention to make themselves look attractive for their husbands so much that when the husband comes home instead of finding his house a refuge from the evils of, I mean he comes from the society when he sees the naked women he sees all the evils and he comes back home his wife looks like a shaitan and behaves like a shaitan so what will he do? he will say assalamu alaikum and he will go out back into the society and it is only a matter of time before you will fall into evil. So, this is why you can understand how the Muslim woman's role is very important. She has a very important role in helping to preserve her husband and protect him and care for him. And thus, by extension, help protect the Muslim Ummah from corruption. The second thing that we want to advise concerning the family or the children. Of course, concerning the children, there are two things really that need to be taken into account and that is preserving and looking after the children's health. Preserving and looking after the children's health and their clothing and their general upkeep in a physical sense and also giving them the love, the care and the attention that they need from their mother. It is very important for the mother to give the children that love and that care and attention and not to neglect them. And the other thing that is also important to mention concerning the children is to teach them good manners. To teach them good manners. And the best way to teach good manners is through yourself having good manners. 
I once had an experience with a family and the lady of this family or the woman of this family complained of the behavior of her children towards her. They never listened to her. They spoke to her in the most rude and unpleasant manner and they were very disobedient and it was like her life was hell. But when in fact we looked into the matter, we found that the way her children talked to her was the same way that she talked to her husband. She used to talk to her husband in a very rude way, ordering him and bossing him around, telling him do this, telling him and speaking to him in the most rude way. So if this is the example that she gave, what did she think her children were going to do? They're looking at her and say, this is the way to behave. This is the way you treat those people who are supposed to be in authority over you. So what she gave out, she got back. So if your manners are good, and your example is good, and your way is good, then this is the most excellent way to teach your children the good manners. So you need to teach them the good manners, and also, of course, you need to teach them Islam. To teach them Islam, to teach them what is halal, what is haram, to teach them the various dua that they make when they get up, when they go to the toilet, when they eat, so on and so forth. To teach them the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and very important, to teach the children from an early age to be workers for Islam. To put this in their minds, to get them used to this concept that they must be amongst those people who are striving and struggling and sacrificing to make the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Bahai. And we remember reading about one of the companions of the Prophet I think it was Abdullah ibn Zubair, I can't remember, with the children of one of the companions. I can't remember which one it was. But the first word he learned was faith. The first word he learned was faith. Because this is how his parents were bringing him up. From day one this child was being brought up to lay down his life, to sacrifice himself for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So similarly, we need to teach our children to put it in their mind, to be callers to Islam, to be people who invite to la ilaha illallah, to people who are ready to sacrifice their time and their money for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a very important part that our sisters have. And this is why you can see how that saying is not a saying of the Prophet, it's just a saying. That if you educate a woman, you educate a nation. If the woman in Islam has this right mentality, has this right concept, if she is bringing up her children, then automatically we will have a generation of children who are prepared to carry the torch, to carry the banner of Islam. The next piece of advice we would like to give our Muslim, noble Muslim sisters, 
is to persist in the obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first matter here is, first of all, in worship. We know that our Muslim sisters are very often extremely engaged in looking after the children, cooking, cleaning, doing the household tasks, and sometimes even they are occupying themselves with things or they are forced to do things that perhaps they shouldn't even be doing, that their husbands should be doing. Like for example, shopping and so on and so forth. We still find it strange that Muslim women unnecessarily uh, go to the shop and are forced to do the shopping, whereas really we find that it would be better from the manners for the men to go and do the shopping and relieve the women from such a difficult and strenuous burden. Also, it would prevent the women from having to go to the market places and mix with the kuffar and stuff like that, carrying heavy bags and so on and so forth. So many times we find that our sisters are burdened with all of these things and it becomes very easy for them to neglect their prayers not, inshallah, we hope to miss the time of the prayer altogether, but very often leaving the prayer out of its early time, delaying the prayer until a very late stage of the day, or so on and so forth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has indeed warned us to guard strictly our habit of prayer, especially the middle prayer. So the prayer in reality is the backbone of Islam. It is that which distinguishes between Iman and Kufr, between belief and disbelief, is the prayer. So we advise our Muslim sisters to take care of the prayer, not only in its times, but also not to pray it hastily in a manner in which you do not have the for sure the reverential awe before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you are praying so fast that you do not have the correct humility and in fact you will totally miss the benefit of the prayer. Rather to take care of this prayer to somehow, and we have no doubt that it's difficult to somehow if you could get the children in some way to be quiet or to sing so you will have that moment at least to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be attentive in that then this is something we advise our Muslim sisters to do their best to strive and struggle for that. Also, to try and fast, and again we know this is something that is uh, difficult for our Muslim sisters, uh, with all the tasks that they have in the household, of course, you are not permitted to do a voluntary fast without the permission of your husband. So this is what the Prophet wasallam has taught us. Also, of course, to uh, give in charity, and this is a very important thing for our sisters to try and give in charity. Second aspect in the persistence in obedience to Allah, to persist and maintain the obedience to, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a very important issue and that is the seeking of knowledge. That is the seeking of knowledge. We do encourage our noble Muslim sisters 
to attend the gatherings, the circles, the meetings of religious knowledge where the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet is explained. If you are not able to attend those gatherings, then it is possible and Allah has made it easy for us in this day and age to get audio cassette tapes of lectures of the scholars and of the students of knowledge and the callers to Islam. So if you are not able to attend the lectures, then be devoted and dedicated in trying to obtain those tapes and listen to them. And it is the duty of every single Muslim husband to facilitate for their wives in any way that they can for them to attain these gatherings of knowledge or at least they should obtain for them these tapes and these lectures so that they can benefit from them. Also, for the sisters to read the magazines that are based upon the Qur'an and the Sunnah according to the understanding of the companions in the early generations then we advise them to get hold of such magazines and such books that contain such authentic information and also to benefit from them. The next advice we want to give our noble sisters in Islam is concerning solving problems in relationships. Solving problems in relationships. Alhamdulillah, our noble sisters have a great task to undertake in solving the problems with relationships. And the first problem that the noble Muslim sisters might encounter in this regard is with their husbands. Is with their husbands. Many a times we have heard of husbands who do not treat their wives in a good manner. They could be violent or abusive, not regarding their rights, and so on and so forth. Perhaps swearing and behaving in a manner that is not according to the manners of Islam then we advise our Muslim sisters that if your husband is like that, we advise you to be patient. We advise you to return what is evil with what is good. So if your husband behaves in a way that is with bad manners and bad language, then you behave in exactly the opposite way. As bad as he is, you go and be even more gentle and even more kind and even more soft in your speech. If he is extremely dominating and physically abusive, then you should be even more in the opposite direction. Why? Because if your husband has any type of humanity or any type of fear of Allah, he will look at you. He will look at you and he will feel ashamed of his behavior. He will feel ashamed of his behavior. And therefore, he will correct himself and reform himself. If, however, we feel that, or you feel that your husband is not changing his bad ways, 
or not changing his evil manner, then the other way that the sisters should adopt is to seek the advice of the scholars and the elders in the community. Inshallah, so that they could advise him and that they could talk to him and this is also a good path to reformation. So this is how we advise our Muslim sisters to solve the problems with their husbands. By returning what is evil with what is good. And inshallah this will be the good way to solve the problems. The second problem that you can solve in the relationship is between the Muslim sisters. We find that we have experienced ourselves that many times sisters have problems with each other. And these are not problems related to Aqidah or to Sikh or to Bin Hajj or something that is, you could say, something important. Very often these are problems between sisters who share the same understanding yet they still have problems with each other. And we wonder how this comes about. And the reason it comes about is because one allows yourself to have bad suspicions about your Muslim sister. You allow yourself to think bad things. Why did she say such and such and this and that? Why did she visit her and she didn't visit me? Why did she give this to her and she didn't give this to me? So on and so forth. Many times the person may have said something and may have meant something else. Or you start thinking why, as I said, she didn't visit her, she didn't visit me, and so on and so forth. So, the way to deal with this is not to have these type of suspicions. To realize that to have this type of suspicious mentality is itself haram, but allowed to have a bad suspicion about your Muslim brother and sister. Rather, you should always have khutmizan, a good suspicion about your Muslim brother and, of course, your Muslim sister. And if you do have a problem, then at least, at least, phone that person, visit that person, write to that person, talk to that person yourself and say, oh my dear sister, this is how I feel, such and such and this and that, and this, inshallah, is a good way to solve your problems, rather than making that suspicion brew and brew, and then you turn, it turns into hatred, it turns into envy, and so on and so on and so forth. The next piece of advice we would like to give is concerning time. It's concerning time. You should spend your time wisely. Time is a very precious resource. In fact, you are never going to be able to make more time. Every minute of your life is not a minute you can ever get it back. Your life is running away from you and your time is rapidly going towards its end. So time, my brothers and sisters, my sisters in Islam, is very precious. So take care of it. Don't waste it. Number one, don't waste it. And this equally applies to the brothers. Don't waste your time 
by kicking and chatting for hours and hours. And, you know, once upon a time, we used to believe that this was only a problem with the sisters. Sitting and talking and talking for hours and hours about nothing that has any relevance. How are you? How are the kids? How is this? It doesn't, okay, if this took 10 minutes or 15 minutes, alhamdulillah, not a problem. This is good. But when it takes one hour, two hours, three hours, you're talking, oh yes, you see that crown I saw, it had this and that, it only cost 52 pounds, and it was a such and such and this and that, and two hours later you're still talking about how many views it has, and what color it was, and you know, whatever. And the brothers do the same, oh yes, that Mitsubishi Jeep, you know, what was for $42,000, and it was really excellent, it has ABS, and it had this and that, and they talk three, four hours about, you know, the latest car, and subhanAllah, you have time for this? Rather, we recommend for our Muslim brothers and our Muslim sisters that when you meet with each other or you speak with each other, you spend a small amount of time to inquire about each other's health and about each other's family and then you should occupy yourself in talking about family to the extent that you think you don't have time for anything else. You don't have time to study, you don't have time to learn, you don't have time to read. We found this happening too often. There is only a solution for this, the only solution for this is nothing except struggle. It is very hard. It demands a lot of patience, a lot of attention. A lot of struggling, it maybe means that you have to force yourself to be awake when you'd rather be asleep, and so on and so forth. But you must make some time to study, to read, to spend time for dawah, to spend time to enjoying what is right, to forbid what is wrong, and so on and so forth. You must give time for this. Not only to completely, completely occupy yourself with the children, and with the house, and so on, and so on, and so forth. Finally, the last piece of advice for our Muslim sisters is concerning the tongue. It's concerning the tongue. As Qu'ad ibn Jabal said, O Messenger of Allah, will we be taken to account for what we utter with our tongues? And the Prophet said, O Mu'ad, Will anything topple people on their faces into the hellfire except the harvest of their tongues? Will anything topple people on their faces into hellfire except the harvest of their tongues? So we advise our Muslim sisters to keep away from the evils of the tongue. To keep away from the evils of the tongue. Jealousy, hatred, backbiting, gossiping, and spreading rumors, tales, carrying. These are extremely evil. Backbiting is a major sin. It is a major sin with which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has threatened his punishment. He has mentioned through his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for the tale bearers a specific punishment in the hellfire. And the Prophet saw that the angel was ripping the cheek of someone from the mouth to the back. 
And then as it got better, the angel ripped the other cheek. Like that, and like that, and like that, forever and ever. And this was the punishment of the tail bearer, the one who was carrying the tail. Who was telling lies about people and spreading, oh, did you know such and such said this and that, who did this and that, and said such and such. And you tell your friend and your friend, oh, did you know this? Until it gets all the way around the world. This lie. So what is the fate for such people? Don't occupy your tongue with such rubbish. Don't occupy your tongue with speaking evil about your Muslim brother and sister, even if it is true. Wallahi, I have come upon so many people who don't even know what backbiting is in Islam. They don't even know what is Namima in, in Islam. They say, well, it's true. They say such and such. Well, it's true, isn't it? Because someone came to the Prophet wasallam and he was mentioning about backbiting. It is like eating the flesh of your dead brother and sister. Would you like to eat? Allah mentions in the Quran. Would you like to eat the flesh of your dead brother and sister? Would you like that your sister or brother was laid out dead and you started to eat their flesh? I don't think any of you would like that. That is how Allah acquainted that by you. And one of the companions said, O Messenger of Allah, what if, it, what if it is true? The Prophet said, if it is true, it is backbiting. If it is not true, it is slander. To say something about your Muslim brother or sister, which they would not like you to say, which they, you know, they would not like you to say that thing. They would find it upsetting. They would dislike it. If you say that behind their back, even if you say it in front of them, the other people say, oh, well, I told them to his face. Then you go and tell everyone behind his back. You think that's allowed? No. doesn't matter whether you said it to that girl or that, uh, the brother or sister's face. It doesn't matter. You say something which they don't like behind their back, that is backbiting, that is eating their flesh, dead flesh. It is a major sin, amongst the major sins, along with fornication, drinking, stealing, so on and so forth. It is a major sin. So do not occupy yourself with this evil of backbiting, let alone slandering, which is worse, which is worse. And there is a narration that mentions that the Prophet wasallam said that riba, you know, usury has 72, or is it 70 or 72 levels. The lowest level is like fornicating with your mother or fornicating 36 times. And the highest level is abusing your Muslim brother. In that, I have heard one scholar say, is a proof that abusing a Muslim is worse than fornication with your mother. So how is it when you sit there and you backbite and you slander your Muslim brother and sister? What an evil you have uttered with your mouth. 
we advise sincerely our Muslim brothers and sisters to be far away from chitty-chatting, spreading rumors, gossiping, backbiting, slandering, jealousy, hatred, envy. And we advise our Muslim brothers and sisters to benefit from the fruits of the tongue. What are the fruits of the tongue? The fruit of the tongue is the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Reading the book of Allah, mentioning the names of Allah, mentioning the dhikr of Allah, discussing what is halal and what is haram, enjoining what is right and forbidding what is wrong. This is what we suggest to myself and to our Muslim brothers and sisters that they occupy their time and their energy with. And please beware of a shaitan who is our sworn enemy. Shaitan who wants to divert you from the remembrance of Allah and who wants to take you far away from the straight path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaitan who has sworn to lead us to destruction. Beware of his tricks, beware of his plots, beware of his plans. اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم. How should our Muslim sister treat other Muslim sisters who are not wearing hijab or acting as good Muslim women? MashaAllah. First of all, I'd like to mention that um, I do highly recommend uh, that you come and listen to Abu Osama Khalifa. Happens to be a friend of mine. And uh, he is one of the uh, best speakers in the English language that I personally know of. Alhamdulillah, his knowledge is, alhamdulillah, seems to me to be very good. He seems to be a very pious brother, and he's certainly a very dynamic speaker, so I'm sure you're all going to benefit from him, inshallah. So I do really recommend you make an effort to listen to him, inshallah. Um, as for the, uh, the, mashallah, I have to say that, uh, I like the way that um, it says how a Muslim sister must treat another Muslim sister who is not wearing hijab or acting as a good Muslim woman. That how hijab is always somehow equated with being a good Muslim woman, which sometimes is an indication that someone's a good Muslim, but not always necessarily. Um, I'd like to remind you of a hadith of the Prophet wasallam. In fact, which is related to what I just said. And they were asked about, or the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was asked about a woman who fasts and prays. I mean, she does extra prayers and she does extra fasts. But she is abusive to her neighbor. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned that she is from the people of the hellfire. The fasting and praying is not benefiting her at all. So, being a good Muslim is not only about wearing hijab. Of course, we do not by this mean to say that wearing the hijab is not important. It is extremely important. Indeed, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that there will come a time when the women will be dressed, but they will be naked. They will be dressed, but they will be naked. And he said, curse them, for they are truly cursed. 
they will not smell the fragrance of Al-Jannah even though the fragrance of Al-Jannah goes for so many, so many thousands of miles so the Muslim woman's dress is something about which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered and he warned us don't let shaitan make you naked strip you of your garments like he caused your mother and father Adam and Hawa to be made naked don't let him do that to you because this is another means of a shaitan corrupting and destroying the honor and the dignity of the Muslim woman and the Muslim man because when the woman is naked not only does she shame herself but she shames her father she shames her brothers she shames her husband she causes immense amount of corruption to be spread in the society by fueling the passions and the desires of the men and I hate to say even the women because in this society they don't care anymore men or women so we would advise that if one of our sisters finds another sister who is not wearing hijab that you employ all the correct methods of giving that person down and the correct methods are to explain to them first of all to show them the proofs and the evidences from the Quran and from the Sunnah and from the understanding of those people who understand the religion the best, their companions so to show them what are the proofs and the evidences that is the first thing this is what Allah says and this is what the Prophet says for most people, many people that is enough for example my sister-in-law many many years ago she thought that the hijab was just an Arab dress my, my, my wife's family is from originally from India she thought that the hijab was just an Arab dress she thought we wear shawal kameez and they wear this you know black thing and whatever right is what she thought right until she saw the evidences from the Quran and she saw the evidences from the sayings of the Prophet then that was enough for her to change so she, or she realized that now yes I realize this is from Islam it's not from some tradition or from some culture however if that is not enough then you should warn that person of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this life and the next and you should remind them of the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this life and the next for those who obey him if that is not enough then on top of that you should add and explain to them the hikmah the reason, the wisdom behind wearing the hijab what is the wisdom behind it what is, how wise it is, how noble it is so on and so forth so then you could do this Danny, if you have done all of these things and you have said all of these things to them 
then after that we, you know, it is going to be very difficult really, except that, you know, when you feel it is appropriate, you keep on encouraging that per person, you keep on reminding that person, and inshallah this is the best way, inshallah, to encourage them. Um, all I said was that in order to preserve the relationships, to mend the relationships, to make bad relations good, I advise the woman to be patient and return what is evil with what is better. If the man has any type of decency in him, in a matter of days or weeks, or at the most you could say months, he should alter his behavior. However, if he continues to be abusive and violent in a, you know, very bad way, then, you know, you should seek advice from your elders and you should seek advice from the people of knowledge and from the scholars as to how you should proceed from there. But I'm not really going to comment upon any particular thing uh, except to say that if you are in this type of relationship where you are suffering this type of physical or even mental abuse, then it is definitely permissible for you to find a way out to get out from this relationship. According to Ahmed ibn Hanbal, it is not a condition. In other words, that being able to provide is something that is recommended and good, but it does not necessarily prevent you from getting married. It does not necessarily prevent you from getting married. So, um, you know, this is of course up to the woman if she feels that, uh, inshallah, she is going to enter into this relationship with uh, a man who at that time or at that place does not have the means to provide and to marry him, then alhamdulillah this is her choice and uh, she is uh, allowed to do that. It is not a actual uh, condition that he must be able to do that, but rather this is um, something that we could say that when he is able to provide and when he has reached the age that he is capable of performing those things which a man and woman do when they're married, in other words, he reaches the age of maturity, and when he has enough to provide, then marriage is something that becomes uh, an obligation upon him. It becomes necessary for him at that time to get married. That's according to the saying of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O young men, marry if you are able. O young men, marry if you are able. And ability is defined as being sexually mature and having a dwelling. 
be sexually mature and having a dwelling. So if you are sexually mature and you have a dwelling, then you are considered to be able to get married and you should get married. My advice to the sister, inshallah, is that you will, inshallah, find a good, righteous husband. If, inshallah, you are good and righteous, then have patience and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will uh, and trust in him and rely upon him and that will be enough for you. In the meantime, you should occupy yourself with studying, with gaining knowledge, with memorizing the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with involving yourself in dawah activities and enjoying what is right and forbidding what is wrong. And inshallah, if you uh, help the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help you. Yes. In fact, I think it is the same of Ibn Abbas, but I'm not sure if it was him who said it or one of the other companions. He says that I like to look pleasing for my wife just as I like my wife to look pleasing for me. So just as the women should, when the husband come home, should not look like a shaitan, then also the man should not look like a tramp on the street or something like that. So the wife is oh my God, you know, what is this that has arrived? So inshallah he should try to make himself also uh, look presentable and handsome and take care of himself. You know, not to look like I, we don't want to actually say what, you know, whatever. But inshallah, to look after oneself and keep yourself in physically good condition, which is something that every Muslim should be doing anyway. And uh, inshallah, so yes, Jazakallah uh, khair, the men should look after themselves and make themselves look presentable, just as the women uh, should look after themselves and make themselves look presentable. Another question is asking in what circumstances a woman is allowed to take off her desire? Um, unless you can sort of uh, further give me uh, some details of exactly what she means, then, uh, you know, then it's very clear, it's mentioned in the Qur'an exactly as to who are those people that you are allowed to take off your hijab in front of and they basically constitute your mahram those people who are your mahram or your clo close male relatives um, and of course the women, the Muslim women the only thing is there is ikhtila and there is difference amongst the scholars concerning the non-Muslim women there is difference concerning the non-Muslim women whether it is permissible to take off your hijab in front of them or not. So the opinion of Imam Malik is that he says not even a fingernail 
He says, not even a fingernail. We should not even be able to see a fingernail. However, uh, the opinion of other scholars is that if you know from these women that they have good character and they understand the purpose of hijab and you do not expect from them that they will spread the secret talking about your beauty to others and so on and so forth, then uh, inshallah it is permissible to remove your hijab in front of them. And Allah knows that. I didn't say that it was prohibited for women to go to the shops. I did not say that. I said rather it is more befitting that the man should take upon himself this task and not leave that for the woman to suffer that type of hardship. I did not say it was forbidden for the women to go to the shops. So if there is some need or there is some necessity that she must go to the shops, it is not a problem. Even if she wants to go to look for some clothes or something like that, it is not a problem. However, what I am saying is that it's better that the husband should do that in order to relieve his wife from such a difficult burden. And Allah knows that. Uh, is it this is not, in my opinion, correct to do that. Rather, the place for the Muslim woman the noble place which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has honored her and has praised her for. He has praised her and honored her as a mother. The nobility is in her educating and caring for her children. It is not upon the Muslim woman to have to go out and work. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made men the maintainers and protectors of women. Allah has made men the maintainers and protectors of women. And in an ideal society, in an ideal society, no Muslim woman should find that she has to go out to work. Because the caring of her and providing for her, if she does not have a husband, who does that, then it is upon her father or her brother or her male relatives, and if not, then the whole of the Muslim community, male community, are responsible for making sure that she is providing for and being able to keep her from the hardship of going to work. In other words, it should be facilitated for the Muslim woman to stay at home and care after the children. So, um, however, if there is something from need or necessity, if there is something from need or necessity, for example, you are running a Muslim school and you are desperately in need of qualified female Muslim teachers and this woman happens to be one of those few people who are qualified 
then in order for the greater benefit that would come to the whole Muslim community, then inshallah that might be even a good thing. But Allah SWT knows best. The Muslim woman can travel with any mahram, any male mahram. She is permitted to travel with any male mahram and she should not leave or she should not embark upon a travel without a mahram. Whether it is of two days and two nights, or three days and two nights, or less than that. Because the Prophet wasallam said that any woman who believes in Allah and the last day will not travel without a mahram. And as we find some of the Muslim women doing these days, traveling vast distances without a mahram, then this is not permissible. And some of the things that we see them doing, for example, their husbands take them to the aeroplane, then they sit in the aeroplane and someone picks them up on the other end. This is not permissible. This is still traveling without a mahram. And we know that in the aeroplane any type of thing could happen. The plane could be delayed, it could be diverted, it could end up in a wrong place, the woman could be staying in that place for any amount of time. All types of iniquity and evil could take place on the aeroplane itself. So we consider that this opinion to be absolutely bartered, to be absolutely false. It is not permissible to do that. Rather, a woman should be accompanied by a mahram who is one of her close male relatives. And as for those who consider that Muslim women traveling in a group constitutes mahram, then we would like to know what is the proof for this? What is the evidence for this? As for the saying of the noble scholar, the great scholar Imam Malik, and he is often quoted, or is it Imam Shafi? Sorry, Imam Shafi, was often quoted as the person who has given this ruling, then in fact he only allowed this for the Hajj. Is it, was it Imam Malik? The opinion of our right the first time, Imam Malik. He, he only allowed this for the Hajj. Why? Because he considered that if a woman had the means to make Hajj, then it becomes an obligation upon her to perform Hajj. It is an obligatory duty. And if she does not have a male relative who could take her, then traveling with a group of women would be sufficient. However, the other opinion of other scholars says, no, that if she does not have a male relative who can take her, then she is not able to perform Hajj. So therefore the ruling of her ability to perform it does not come into existence. Because amongst those things that make her able is to have a male relative to take her. And that, inshallah, is the correct opinion. And Allah knows that, in my opinion, it's the correct opinion. First of all, I don't really know what this means. That it is not correct 
for a Muslim woman to kick her husband out of the home? If you mean by that divorce, then even if you divorce in Islam, brothers and sisters, divorce should be done in the best way, with the best manners, that you come to an understanding between each other in a polite, decent and dignified way that you do not find it compatible to keep living with each other and then you should separate from each other in kindness in kindness this type of divorce with this type of screaming and fighting and physical and mental abuse that we find the kuffar doing using the children as some sort of you know uh, battleground then you know the the the, 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 the destruction, the corruption that this causes to the children, to the families, to the whole society is incredible. We are Muslims. He is your Muslim brother. He is closer to you than your own blood brother. The ties of Iman are the closest ties. They precede all other ties. Ties of tribe, ties of nation, ties of money. Ties of blood, the closest tie, the closest link is the tie of Iman. This is your Muslim sister. Similarity, so where is the love for the sake of Allah? Where is the respect? Yes, sometimes it happens that you can't get on with each other. Then you should agree amongst each other. With following the proper processes, bringing in the families to arbitrate between you. And if there is willingness to reconcile, Allah will reconcile you. If it is not, then separate in kindness. This type of kicking out of the house and this type of stuff. Come on. Is this the way to behave? Is this the way to go forward? Is this the way to behave as Muslims? No. So, we advise our Muslim brothers and sisters that if we find that for some reason you are keep on getting on each other's nerves, you keep on arguing, that for some reason you really decide that, you know, it is not compatible for you to stay with each other anymore. Well then there's no need for this kicking out type stuff. Right? This type of attitude. Because if you kick, I'm sure your husband can kick harder than you. Okay? So really, so think about that. So just let us have the correct manners and the correct way of behaving and let us not resort to this type of petty, pathetic, shaitanic type of behavior and we should refuse to the law from that. If your husband tells you, climb the red mountain and go down, climb the green mountain and go down, climb the yellow mountain and go down, you should do it. That's the hadith of Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If you were to lick the pus from the wound that is flowing from your husband, you still didn't fulfill your rights upon him. 
So if your husband doesn't like you wearing a color, don't wear it. And if you keep wearing it, that is absolutely disobedient to him. It is well known from those things that are prohibited in the religion of Islam is the mixing of the men and the women. One of the proofs of this is that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not permit the mixing of the men and the women in the salah, then how could mixing between men and women be permitted in less than the salah? So there should be observed the separation between the men and the women. Even when the women were coming out of the prayer, the Prophet used to order them to keep separate from each other. And the women used to go and they used to cling to the sides of the streets so that their jilbabs would be brushing against the edge of the walls. This is how they would separate themselves. So uh, this mixing between the men and the women, you know, is something that is not allowed. And Allahu Alam. Um, what advice would you give to the children whose parents are all partners and partners? That's a hard one, huh? I think that, um, I mean, myself, I came from a family where I think uh, I heard my mother and father really argue in a bad way once. So, alhamdulillah, in that way I was really lucky. And uh, the one time I told, I saw them, I told them, why don't you both grow up and stop behaving like children? Um, but um, if you find that as a child you find your parents are arguing all the time, I think the best thing to do is to try and, you know, explain to them that you know that you find this something that is very hard and that this is not something that you think is from you know the good Islamic manners and that we should be soft with each other and we should be kind with each other and just generally to advise your parents in a most respectful and dignified and polite way if you feel that you can't do that yourself then maybe you could find someone who could come and talk to your parents, someone who you feel your parents would respect them and listen to them. But I think it is very important that children should communicate with their parents. I think when the children reach a certain age, especially like for example the relationship between the father and the son and the mother and the daughter, you, the, your son will reach an age when he is mature and you should be able to treat him a bit more like a friend, you know, like a friend. So you should be able to have this type of communication between yourself. So this is what I advise, I do advise that, um, that you talk 
and you try and explain these issues and inshallah, just like if you wanted found your parents not praying or you found them not fasting or not giving zakah or doing something haram you in your best way would try and advise them and ask them to turn away from that so similarly try and employ the same type of technique inshallah and to advise them not to argue with each other in conclusion, we ask Allah that He brings you benefit through this lecture. For more information, you may contact us through the following address. The Islamic Propagation Office, Rabwa, P.O. Box 29465, Riyadh 11457, Saudi Arabia. Phone 445-4900. Also, 491-6065. Fax, 497-0126. If you would like to listen to more beneficial lectures, feel free to visit our website at www.islamhouse.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.